Amen. So let's open up our Bibles to Ruth. And so uh, as we are turning our pages to Ruth, you know, I want to just talk a little bit about Ruth before we, before we begin to get into this book. You know, for us, it's definitely a refresher as we get into Ruth. I know that for those of you that have been with us, we've been going through the book of Judges and as we went through and finished the book of Judges, you know, we experienced some very dark times when it came to the Israelites. You know how God's people walked in sin and we know that they committed some unbelievable sins and that we read about and that uh, we were revealed to us by, by the Word of God. And so we did see that the people continued to backslide time and time again. And as they continue to backslide, we know that God was gracious, God was patient, God was merciful, and, and He continued to, to just reveal Himself to each and every one of them. But as we finish now uh, the book of Judges, we come into the book of Ruth, and I want you to know that this is actually a very bright spot in the Bible. And as you know, or maybe you don't know, this bright spot actually happened during the time of Judges. That's what's, that's what's so amazing because as we, we go through the book of Judges, right, we, we talked about the dark times that, that, uh, that the people were in uh, as far as how they were walking in sin and yet we have this bright spot. You know, we have this, this flower of a book that, that comes to us and just, and just reveals just the, the, uh, just the love and, and the redemption that comes through our Lord. And I want you to know that this book, as I mentioned, is a love story, but it's also a book of redemption. And, and I want you to understand it's also a book that reveals God's sovereignty. And as we see it firsthand, uh, it's going to just unfold that, that the God that we serve is a God who loves to redeem what is lost. The God that we serve loves to restore that which is broken. He loves to redeem personal tra- tragedies within our lives and as we see here and as we're going to read through this book we know and we're going to understand that God specializes in redeeming and in restoring and this is what's so amazing about the God that we serve see because we can rest and trust in the fact that the God that we serve he loves to redeem he loves to restore and this is what he talks to us really in through the prophet Jeremiah's As he tells us in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, in believing this promise, understand that as we believe this, that we will also experience, or that as we hear these words, We are reminded that we will also experience, you know what, tragedy within our lives. There is going to be just personal tragedy that happens. And I want you to understand that a lot of this destruction that happens in our lives, it's caused sometimes by sin. It's also caused maybe by by the world's hatred towards us, the things that, that it brings against us. But we also know that we have the enemy of our soul and he is also probably behind some of these things. And so, as these things are happening, we, we hear here the words of God, right? And, 
and the fact that He wants to give each and every one of us, you know what, a future and a hope. He has thoughts of peace and not of evil as He reveals to us in Jeremiah. But I want you to understand that as the Lord reveals and as He's going to show us how He loves to restore that which is destroyed. He loves to do this. This is part of who He is. And this is the God that He wants us to know today. This is the God that He wants us to meet tonight. This is the one that He wants us to walk away with knowing that if we are faced with any personal tragedies, if there is brokenness in our lives, that God can restore, that God can redeem. Look at what He says here to Joel, uh, through the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 verse 25. He says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. He's telling us personally that He can restore these things that the locusts have destroyed, that the locusts have eaten. Look at what He tells us in Isaiah 61 verse 3. He says, To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. See, this is a God that we serve. And not many of us ever think about the God that we serve, that He is a God that loves to redeem. He's a God that loves to restore. We always think that maybe He's a mighty God, but we forget that He wants to do this in our lives because He knows that we are faced with personal tragedies. He knows that we are faced with calamities that come into our lives. He knows that we have hardships within us. And yet God wants to remind us today through the story, through this chapter 1, that He redeems and that He restores. We're also going to be introduced to the law of the kinsman redeemer. And this is what's going to be awesome. We're not going to get into this today, but we're going to see it as we continue in the book. In Leviticus 25, verse 25, we're introduced to this law of the kinsman redeemer. And this is what it, what it means. It says, if one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. See, what happens is that he was writing to the Jews here and he was telling them, you know what, if you guys become poor and you need to sell your property, you need to sell your possessions, you know what, if you have to do this, right, and you have a, a, a relative that can repurchase, that can redeem that which was sold, I allow that. That is part of my law. That is part of what I command. But I want you to know this. That the law of the kinsman redeemer, it goes beyond the Jews. I want you to understand this. It goes beyond the Jews, and let me share you, with you why. See, Jesus has become our kinsman redeemer. Understand this. Jesus has become our kinsman redeemer. And I'm going to share why. Because see, Adam, you know, our forefather Adam, we all came from Adam and Eve. And I want you to know, that Adam was given the world and everything in it. See, when God created Adam and Eve, He says, You know what? I am making you master over all. All of these things I have given unto you. But see, what happened, there's something that happened with Adam. Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, he gave it all up to the devil. See, because as he sinned, right, he became a slave of that of, that, uh, 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 of, the, of the person 
that, that caused him to do this. Because he obeyed the devil. He listened to the devil and he became a slave of the devil. See, everything that was given to Adam and Eve, Adam gave it up. He gave everything up. And that included all of his descendants. That included all of his relatives, which is us. See, we were sold into slavery because of the sin that Adam committed. And I want you to understand this, that as we were sold into slavery, our kinsman redeemer came. And our kinsman redeemer is Jesus. See, he is our closest relative. And I want you to know when he came as a man, he came to redeem that which was Lost that which was sold into slavery. And he came as our closest relative and he redeemed the earth. And the shedding of, it, of, of his blood was the price that he paid. And as we understand this, this is the price of redemption. The blood that he gave. This is the price that he paid. And I want you to know that this price that was paid... Though it was paid, Jesus hasn't taken possession. I want you to know that. That there is a time when Jesus Christ will take complete possession of the earth and everything in it. And those that are His, which is us. And this will occur in His second coming. And this begins when the great tribulation begins. And this occurs after the rapture of the church. But as we go back to the book of Ruth, as we examine the book of Ruth, I want you to know that there are only two books in the Bible named after a woman. The first one is Ruth, and the second one is Esther. Yes, Esther is the second book that is named after a woman. As far as the author of the book of Ruth, I want you to know this. No one is for certain who wrote the book of Ruth. Jewish tradition states that it is Samuel, the prophet Samuel, the one that anointed King Saul and King David as king over Israel. And they say this because when you look at the final verse here in the book of Ruth, in chapter 4, it talks about David's reign. It mentions his lineage and it mentions David. And so many people attribute this to, to, to Samuel as he lived during the time of, of David's reign. There are some that believe that it would have been written during the time of Samuel, of Solomon, I'm sorry. And this would have been after David's reign. But I want you to know this. It really doesn't matter who wrote it. The fact is, is that we have this beautiful story of love and of redemption. And this is this wonderful work that God does in the lives of, of His children. This is what we're going to partake in. This is what we're going to feast in. This is what you and I are going to chew in for the next month to month and a half. We're going to partake in, in this beautiful work that God does. And so with this, why don't we begin to read all of chapter 1. And what we'll do after that is we'll expound on the verses. And we'll, we'll, the Lord will allow the Lord just to speak to us on, on the various points that He has for us today. Verse 1 says, here in Ruth chapter 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. 
he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kylion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and, was, and she was left. And her two sons. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kylion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dwelt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed him, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb? That there may be your husband. Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have, if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she t- said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was so excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dwelt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley, 
harvest. So here you have it. Here's chapter 1. As we have chapter 1, we can see here just the tragedy that falls upon Naomi. You know, she loses her husband. She loses her children. And so as we can see here, you know what? She, you just have how, how the story starts with, with, with the tragedy that falls upon the land. And in it, it's, it's personal. It falls upon Naomi. And then you see how, how you know what? This, this tragedy that falls upon them, how, how it affects now their daughter, daughters, her daughters-in-law. And then you have the daughters-in-law that are torn between their family and Naomi. And then you have what, what happens to the heart of Naomi. See, what you see in Naomi is a woman that has become bitter. She's become angry. She's blaming God for events that have happened in her life. And with that, let's go ahead now and expound. And we're going to see the many lessons that God wants us to learn. Beginning here in verse 1, it says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So you see this bright spot, right? In the time of Judges, remember Judges, as many of you were here at, at the final chapters of, of the book of Judges, how, you know what, how horrible it was, right? How the sins of uh, uh, of the Israelites, the things that they were doing. But even during this ugly time of Israel, these dark times of Israel, you have this beautiful flower that blossoms. You have these people that are, you know what, that, that they're, they're committed to God, and we're going to see this throughout this chapter. And, and so you have here this, 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 uh, this famine, as it says there, that, that hit the land, right? And, and we know that, it caused a, a certain man of Bethlehem. It caused a certain man of Bethlehem to, to take his family from Judah. I want you to understand about famines. Remember, this is a dark time during the history of Israel, during the time of Judges. And so God has used a famine to bring judgment upon the land. And I want you to know this, that there's been famines that God has created during this time and after this time, as judgment upon the land because of the sins of the people. I want you to think about this one. And as I was just meditating on this, thinking about this, you know what I began to think? And whether if this is from God or not, I don't know, but it's a possibility. When you look at the drought in California, is this a possible judgment from God upon this state? You see the sins of this state. Yes, there's believers here. And yes, we have the mercy of God upon this place. And yes, we're a part of it. Just like Naomi, just like her husband, just like, you know what, her, her, her children that were believers. But yet they were a part of this, right? They, they weren't excluded from this judgment, though they are protected from it. But we know that we have to participate in this because of the sins of the land. The sins of California. Is this what's happening? Only God knows, but there's a possibility and a very deep possibility. As we looked at this, right, we were introduced to this man. It doesn't give us his name, but it says that he left Judah. 
And he went to Moab with his wife and his two sons. When we think about this, right, why would Elimelech, which we'll know his name in the next verse, why did he choose Moab? You know what? We don't really have an answer as to why he chose Moab. Maybe in Moab, it wasn't, there wasn't a famine there, right? Because as Sylvia, if you could put up the map there, I know I was trying to find a map that, that showed some of these, but I want you to know where Moab is. You see where, where uh, Reuben is on the left there of the screen and right on top of it is Gad. At the southern point of Gad and, and right there where Reuben is, that's where Moab is. Okay, and that's where they went. So he left Judah, as you can see Judah there. He, he crossed over and went into Moab. And Moab does have a history. I want you to understand this. There's, there's much to these people of Moab. And the only reason I give this to you is because, see, her sons married the women, two women from Moab. And I'm going to share with you where the nation of Moab Began, And it gives this to us in Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 34. It says here, It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger She also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So what we have here is, remember the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? The daughters of Lot lost their husbands there. And they decided to take matters into their own hands. They they decided to, to, you know what, to, to get their father drunk. So drunk that he didn't even know what was going on. And they laid with him and they had sexual relations with him and they had children. Each of them had a child. And one was Moab and the other one was Ben-Ami. And so as we see here, right, as we see here that that these Moabites came from the daughters of Lot. And so as you have this understanding, you can see that these people weren't Jews, okay? I want us to understand that these people were not of the people of God. They weren't from Abraham and the seed of Abraham. And so if we go into verse 2, it says, The name of the man was Elimelech. Okay, that's his name. The husband of Naomi. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kylion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So we see here, right? We, we meet the husband, Elimelech. We meet Naomi. We meet her two sons, which were Malon and Kylion. And we know that they were in Judah. And so they went to the 
country of Moab, as it says there, because of the famine that hit Judah. And so let's keep reading. It says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So what we have here is, as you can see, first the husband dies. The husband of Naomi dies. It doesn't tell us how he died. All we know is that he died. And so Naomi is left as a widow. And then it goes on to talk about her sons. Her sons, again, that decided to take women from Moab who weren't Jews as their wives. Okay? And I want you to know this. When it comes to Moab, these were not forbidden by the Lord, but it wasn't God's plan for them. See, whenever God, when, when God spoke to His people, He told them Himself, He says, you know what? I do not want you to take any women that don't come from your own people. See, God knows what these unbelievers do, right? They have gods of their own. They have a different lifestyle, a different set of standards. And so what happens is that these can easily infiltrate, right? And they can easily move and sway the people of God away from God. But as we saw, Moab was not in the land of Canaan. And it was the Canaanites that God says, I don't want any of you to marry anyone from the land of Canaan. Remember, Canaan is where Israel is. And if Sylvia, if you could put it up. I want you to understand that Canaan is everything that is east of the Jordan there. As you can see there, the line where Naphtali, Zebulon, Ishakar, Manasseh, Ephraim, Benjamin, Dan, Judah, Simeon, and Asher away on top. That is Canaan. Okay? And east of Canaan is is uh, is is where Moab was. But look at what God said when he commanded the Jews not to marry the woman of Canaan. So you understand why he would do this. Remember, this these were not from the women of Moab, but from the women of Canaan. But the principle applies. But when you look at here, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. He says there, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So see, God knows. He knows if you marry anyone outside of the family of God, they are only going to pull you away from God. And that's what we have here, right? And the same principle the Lord has given us when He talks about not being unequally yoked. He wants to make sure that we are 
we are with one another that are like-minded because we can only stir one another up, right? To do good works, to do good things, to follow the Lord. Because if you are unequally yoked, again, they will pull you away from the Lord. But I want to remind you, if you are married to somebody that is an unbeliever and it happened after your marriage or it happened because you made a bad choice, you are not to leave your spouse. I want you to understand this. I want you to know that you are to be an example for your spouse. That you are to, you know what, to, to continue to love on them and continue to, to show the, the, the love of Christ so that as they see your example, you will draw them to the Lord. But going back to the story here in, in, in Ruth chapter 1, as we see here, right, as we see this tragedy this tragedy that happens to Naomi. First her husband dies. And then next her two sons die. See this was devastating for Naomi. Okay. And we know that this is not the first tragedy that happens in the Bible. We see tragedies going on all the time. And I want you to understand regarding tragedies. This is the life that we live in. This is the world that we live in. We will experience tragedy. This happened because of that sin that Adam and Eve committed. See, when they sinned, they brought this tragedy, these, you know what, these tears, this, this death, this, this sorrow and this pain. And this is what sin causes. And this is what we have here, right? When it came to Elimelech, you know what, you begin to think about why would he go into a, a pagan land, right? Why would he go into Moab? Why would he go there? I mean, we know that at the time that, that, uh, that it was that the tribe of Reuben and Gad were there, but there were also pockets of er- uh, or areas where, where, where they, weren't, you know, they weren't in full control there, that they weren't fully reigning there. Did he make a bad decision? Did Elimelech make a bad decision? Is it because of his flesh is because, or maybe because he didn't trust in the Lord. Maybe, you know what, he should have just waited there in Judah. Or maybe he should have gone into, maybe Ephraim. Or maybe he should have gone into another country. But for whatever reason, he goes into, into the land, of, uh, into here, into Moab. And we know that this tragedy happens. I want you to understand this about tragedies. Tragedies are not always caused by God. See, tragedies are caused by sin. And I want you to understand this because, see, many times we're all, all, we are always so quick to blame or maybe certain people are so quick to blame God for tragedies that happen in their lives. See, we must know that these tragedies that bring heartache and pain, that bring suffering, this has been caused by sin. It hasn't been caused by God. And we must remember this because many people will come to us, right? And they'll begin to ask us and to say, you know what? Why did God allow this? Why is it that God made this happen? Or how could God do this to me, right? We must always point them to the fact that it isn't God that causes these things. It is sin that has created this heartache. It is sin that has created this sorrow. It is sin that has created this pain. 
And we must always remind them and point them to the fact that God has promised us that we will one day be in a place where there will be no more death, where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more tears. And this is what we have to look forward to. See, as a people, we cannot be blaming God for what sin has caused. And the personal tragedies that happen upon us are caused because of this. And one thing that we know is that God will never give us more than we can handle. And God, for whatever reason, knew that Naomi can handle this. And God was sovereign over all these things. He didn't cause it, but yet it happened in her life. And yet God knew that as I'm sovereign over these things, I will turn all these things together for good. And this is what we rest in when it comes to the Lord. See, when we look through the Bible, I want us to know this, that there are others in the Bible that have also experienced personal tragedies. When you look at the life of Job, Job experienced some tragedies. Tragedies for us to glean to, to look at, right? To have hope in. When we look at King David, he lost his kids too. He experienced rebellion within his own house. And yet we look at David. And we look to these men to see that these men place their hope in God. See, I want you to understand that our hope is in God. And I'm going to give you the silver lining in a bit when it comes to all of this. See, this was a humongous tragedy for Naomi. I don't want to minimize this. Because I want to share this with you. I have a wife and I have children that I love. And I know that if God was to take them, it would be devastating. It would be very hard for me to accept. Just like many of you that have husbands and, and wives and you have children. And for the Lord to take them, it's not an easy thing. And with that, let's keep reading. As we go into verse 6, look at what it says. It says, so, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Let's stop here. So after the death of the two sons, news comes back to Naomi that the land of Judah is doing better. Remember, they left Judah because of the famine. And ten years has passed. This is what it told us in verse 4, right? That ten years had passed. And now things were improving in Judah. And what's so awesome about this, right, is what Naomi says. Naomi says there that, that the Lord, in verse 6, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. She was definitely acknowledging that God had brought this recovery. And she acknowledges that God is the one that brought back this bread. In other words, the famine was over. And as we keep reading in verse 8, it goes on to say, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal with you as you have dealt with me, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. I want you to know, it's telling us that they begin to go back to Judah. 
as they are returning to Judah, understand this, Naomi tells her two daughters-in-law, you know what, go home. Go back to Moab. Remember, they're from the land of Moab. So Naomi is telling them, you know what, don't come with me. Go back to Moab. Go to your mother's house. Naomi tells them, you guys have been wonderful wives to my sons. You've been good, great stepdaughters. You know what? And now the Lord is going to give you rest with a new husband. This is what she tells them. And it goes on to say there in verse 9, So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And then verse 10 tells us, And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. What happens with these two girls is they decline. Okay, these two daughters-in-law, they said, no, Naomi, we want to go with you. Imagine this. Imagine the example that Naomi was. For these women, understand this, these women were broken between their people and Naomi. And for me, when I think about this, right, I think to myself, Naomi must have been an amazing woman of God. I want you to know this because these two women were willing to give up their people. They were willing to give up their land. They were willing to give up their mom, their mother's house. They were willing to give up their brothers and sisters to follow Naomi. Imagine this. What an example she would have been. And then verse 11 goes on to say, But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? She's saying, do I still have babies in my womb? I'm a lot older now, right? I mean, who knows how old she would have been. She could have been in her 40s, right? In her 50s maybe. She could have been this old. And she's saying, you know what? You guys want to come with me? I don't have any babies in my womb. And then verse 12 goes on to say, Turn back, my daughters, go. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I, should, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's saying, you know what, if I was to marry today, and if I was to, bear a, if I was to become impregnated today, you guys can't wait for this child, you're too old. She's saying, basically, you know what? Go. You know what? Don't restrain yourself from having husbands. They could have been in their, you know what, in their uh, mid to late 20s. They could have been in their early 30s. We don't really have the age of these girls. But we know that they were young. We know that they were probably in their late 20s or mid, mid to late 20s. And so she's telling them, you know what? You still have a life. You don't need me. You shouldn't follow me. And then verse 14 goes on to say, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I believe as we see this here, I want you to know one thing. That, see, when you look at verse, at the end of verse 13, we begin to have a clue as to what's going on in the heart of Naomi. See, up to this point, she's been a perfect example, but something happened in Naomi. 
And you begin to see it here at the end of verse 13, right? It says that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. See, I want you to understand this. These girls, right, they were weeping. They wanted to go with her, right? And, and you see Orpah, you know what, as she kisses her mother-in-law, she decides to, to go back home. But Ruth clings to her. Ruth is the one that clings to her. And I want to remind you of one thing, of what's happening here with Naomi. Remember, she is, what's happening here, she's beginning to blame the events of her life, the tragedies of her life. She's beginning to blame God. And for us, we have, I mean, it's amazing that, see, we, we can look at the Word of God through a microscope, right? Because we can see the tragedies that have happened. We can see the events that have taken place. And, and we know the promises of God because we have His Word. Remember the promises of God where He said through Jeremiah that, I have thoughts of peace and not of evil for you, right? To give you a future and a hope as He said through Joel that I will restore what the locusts have destroyed, what the locusts have eaten. And what he said through Isaiah that I make beauty out of ashes. See, what happened here is that many times when we go through tragedies, we lose sight of the God that we serve. I want you to know this, that when we go through tragedies, we lose sight of the God that we serve. See, what we have is a God that wants to restore. See, the God that we have is a God that says, I will restore. The God that we have is a God that says, I will redeem. The God that we have says, I have thoughts of peace and not of evil. I have thoughts, I have a plan to give you a future and a hope. See, and as we see this, right, we are to remember these things. And you have these women, right, that, that are seeing a very low point here in Naomi. But in this low point, you still have one woman that clings to her. And this is Ruth. And Naomi tells Ruth, she says, Ruth, you see your sister-in-law, she's going home. Here in verse 15, and she says, and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So here, Naomi is saying, Orpah, Orpah has gone home. Orpah is going back to her gods. Why don't you do the same? Why don't you go back to your gods? Why don't you go back home? And so we see here that, that, that Ruth, you know what? She's clinging to her, right? She's, just, she's clinging on to her. And she's probably crying on her. and She's holding on to Naomi. And she says one of the most profound, one of the most deepest statements or words in the Bible. Look at how she responds. Ruth says in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death, Part you and me. These are amazing words. Just the, the words that come out of her mouth are just so, you know what, just so profound. They're just so deep in meaning, right? 
This woman, Ruth, has come to a place of saying, you know what? Don't ask me to leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. The only thing to separate you and me will be death. Imagine. Imagine these words that are coming from Ruth. I mean, for, for many of us, as we, as we look at this, right, you see this, this woman that, is, that has come to accept the God of Naomi as her God. And I want you to know this, that she truly meant exactly what she said. See, when you think about what Ruth does after this, she follows through with her promise. And she listens to her mother-in-law. We'll cover this in the next chapters. But when we look at Naomi, her life was definitely a testimony to Ruth. She moved Ruth. Naomi was an inspiration for Ruth. I don't know if many of you have met godly women, and I hope you have, and I hope you meet some godly women here. But I want you to understand one thing. When you meet these godly women, you learn from them. You know what? You learn how, you know what, how, how one should be, right? And this is what God has called the women, the older women, to teach the younger women to do these things, right? And, and we know that Naomi's life was a testimony. She was willing, as I mentioned earlier, right? She was willing to, to leave her own mother, to leave her own land, to leave her own brothers, to leave her siblings. She was leaving, uh, willing to leave her nation and family to follow Naomi. And most of all, to follow the God of Naomi. This woman surrendered her life to God. At this time, she came to a place of professing her faith. And saying, you know what? I am leaving everything to follow you and to follow your God. See, this was a faith and God would honor the faith of Ruth. See, Ruth now, as the tables begin to turn, you begin to see somebody else coming to the limelight. You begin to see somebody else that God wants to focus on. And this is Ruth. See, Ruth was willing to give up her family. She was willing to give it all up to follow Ruth and the God that Ruth had. There was another man that God honored. Remember this man that says, you know what? I'm taking you from the land of Ur. And I want you to go into the promised land. Who was this? It was Abraham. And what did God do through Abraham? The seed was planted through Abraham. The Jews were birthed out of Abraham. The lineage of Jesus Christ came from Abraham. We know that God honored the faith of Abraham and he will honor the faith of Ruth. And this is the woman that this book is named after. See, God will use this woman powerfully. And we're going to see this in the coming chapters. Verse 18 goes on to say, When she saw that she was determined to go with her, this is Naomi, when she saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. She said, okay, I won't tell you to go back home. Verse 19 goes on to say, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, the women of the city said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has 
dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So that Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So we have here, they come into Judah. They come back to their homeland. And we see here, as we began to read, right, that Naomi was well known in the city. People knew of Naomi. They knew who Naomi was, right? And they were all so happy, right? They were so joyous. It says that all the city was excited. Imagine that. There's an excitement when Naomi comes. Why would there be an excitement? Because she was a fragrance to them, right? She was an example. She was an inspiration, She was a a woman that people honored and respected. And when she came into the land, all of them were excited. The whole city, it says, is excited. Can you imagine that? Just by Naomi coming back into town, the whole city gets excited. It just goes to show us the example, the inspiration that she was. But then she blows it, right, when she comes in. And what does she say? She says, don't call me Naomi. You want to know what Naomi means? It means pleasantness. It means pleasantness, right? She's she's such a pleasant. But but now she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. I want you to understand that Mara means bitter. See, what happened to Naomi is that she became bitter with the loss of her husband and her kids. She says, I left full and I come back empty. Little did she understand what God was doing. The fact that Naomi came back with her. The fact that, you know what, that, that there was a silver lining through all of this. How many of you are familiar with the term silver lining? A few of you? Very few of you. I want to share with you what this means. This this term is used to emphasize the hopeful side of things, right? Of a situation that has nothing but gloom on its surfaces. When it says, and this is a common expression that you probably hear, that every cloud has a silver lining. It means that even the worst events or situations have some positives. I want you to understand this, that, when Na- that what Naomi and others fail to see in personal tragedies is the silver lining. I want you to know for us as Christians, do you know what our silver lining is? I want you to know this, the fact that God is still on the throne. That no matter what personal tragedy you experience, that God is still on the throne. I want to bring it together. Remember what he told Jeremiah. He said that I have thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He told Joel that, you know what, no matter what personal tragedies you've gone through, I will restore what the locusts have eaten. Remember what he told Isaiah, no matter how hard things get, no matter the fire that burns up and that burns things around you, that I make beauty out of ashes. This is our silver lining to understand that God restores and that God redeems. See, we forget this, right? When we're going through personal tragedies, 
that these things, that God is still on the throne. That we serve a God that has not left the throne. That we serve a God that, that is above all these things and is sovereign over all these things. And remember the promises that He gave us. That He has a future and a hope. Understand this, that God is saying, I have, I have peace. I have thoughts of peace and not evil towards you. What the world has brought upon you, what your sin has brought upon you, what the devil has brought upon you, that's not from me. And I will restore and I will redeem that no matter what's happening in your life, I am still on the throne and you place your faith and your trust in me and you will see what I can do. And this is what God is trying to say here. See, the fact that that He's able to do this We've seen this in times past. This isn't something that is new to God. And God gives us His Word and He gives us examples of this. I want to share with you about Job. You remember Job when he faced his tragedies? What did he do when he faced his tragedies? Job fell on the ground and he worshipped God. And look at the words that Job said. Remember, Job was ta- his, his children were taken and his property were, was taken. And he fell on the ground and he worshipped God and he said this, Naked I came, naked I shall return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you remember his wonderful wife? For those of you that know her. Remember what she told Job? After the tragedy happened, remember she told Job, she says, I want you to curse God and die. And you know what Job told her? Job says, Do we only accept good from God and not adversity? Not that it came from God, but he's saying, do we, not, do we only accept good from God and not adversity? And the Bible goes on to say immediately after that, that Job did not sin. I want you to understand this. Adversity will come, but our God remains on the throne. And he looks to redeem And to restore. And the reason I say that. Because I'm going to give you what happened at the end of Job's life. After the adversity that was caused by Satan. Look at what God does. And he tells us in Job 42 verse 10. Remember we serve a God that redeems. And a God that restores. And God wants you to know this part of him. And he wants you to walk away knowing that. You know what through your personal tragedies. This is what I do. Look at what he said to Job. Or look at what happened to Job. In Job 42 verse 10. It tells us that the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Look at what it says in verse 12 of Job 42. It says that the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. This is what we hang on to. I want you to understand this. That Job is not loved more than you. What God did in the life of Job, God will do in our lives. But we must remain faithful. We must trust in the Lord. See, Naomi could not see it. Naomi right now was in a state of bitterness. She was saying, call me Mara. See, and God, and she could not see what God would soon do, right? Because God would redeem all that was lost by Naomi. God would restore all that was broken in the life of Naomi. Understand this, that King David came as a descendant from Naomi. 
And you know who came after that? Jesus Christ. And this is what we must understand. See, she could not see that God was still on the throne during this time. That she served the Messiah. She served Emmanuel. She served the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the same is for us. As we go through personal tragedies, let us not forget that the God that we serve is Almighty God. And He's still on the throne. And that the God that we serve loves to restore. He loves to redeem. And you, understand this, are the apple of His eye. He loves you. And He wants the very best for you. He knows what personal tragedies do. And this is what He wants us to do. When we get weak, because tragedy will come, sickness will come, ailments will come, pain will come, sorrow will come, tears will come. And this is what He reminds us to do, because when we get weak, and we will, He wants us to do what He told us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace is open to you and to me. And he says to come boldly. Come in there with confidence. Don't come in there timid. Don't come in there, God, are you going to listen to me? He says, come in there and I am listening. And I will redeem and I will restore. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. As he was hit with an ailment. And this is what he said. And these are the words of Christ to him. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. God does not want us to be Amora. Amara. But he wants us to believe. In Him. He wants us to know that we serve a mighty God that is on the throne. He wants us to know that we serve a God that restores and redeems. He wants us to know that God will give us much more in the end than the beginning. Understand this. God wants you to know this side of Him. And no matter what you're going through, no, what, no matter what tragedy you're in, no matter what's happening in your life, God will redeem. God will restore what is broken. This is God. The God that we serve. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that wants you to know personally. And He doesn't want you to give up. And whenever you're faced with tragedies, always remember that He is on the throne. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, we just thank You, Lord. As we begin this, this book of Ruth, Lord, as we begin just this beautiful flower, Lord, during a very dark time, to show us your sovereignty, to show us that you are in control of all things, to show us that we are the apple of your eye and that 
you look to redeem and to restore. That no matter what's happening in our lives, that you are there. That no matter what sin has caused, no matter what the world has brought upon us, no matter what Satan has brought upon each and every one of us, that you will restore and that you will redeem these personal tragedies. We know that you love us. We know that you love each and every one of us. And you have thoughts of peace and not evil. You have planned a a future for us. You tell us in your word that you restore what the locusts have eaten. You make beauty out of ashes. And so when we are faced with tragedies, when we are faced with calamities, when we are faced with heartache, may we remember your words. And may we know and may we understand that you are on the throne. And that each and every one of us, each and every one of us, are so loved by you. If there's anyone here, if there's anyone here that needs prayer, maybe you're faced with tragedy, maybe you're faced with a calamity, maybe you're faced with an ailment, a sickness. Maybe you're faced with, with something that is that is difficult in your life. And you so desperately, so desperately need, need to know and to understand that God is on the throne. I want you to just repeat this prayer after me. It's a cry, it's a, it's a cry to the Lord. It's a calling out to Him. It's, it's as He told us in His Word to come boldly with confidence into the throne room of grace, asking Him for help in a time of need. If this is you, let us pray together in one accord. Lord Jesus, I need you. I am in this situation now. And I need you. I can't do it without you. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Help me to realize and to understand and to know in my heart that you are on the throne and that you work all things together for good for those that love you. Lord, I so want to believe and I will believe that you restore what the locusts have eaten. that you make beauty out of ashes, that you have a future and a hope for me, and that you will make the ending 
better than the beginning as I put my trust in you. I'm going to hold on to these words. I'm going to hold on to them by faith. I'm going to cling to you because you are my God and you never disappoint. And what you have promised, you are faithful to complete. I hold on to these promises and I hold on to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you all.